Welcome to the Lift Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is the greatest lift in life. We are so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will give you a lift of encouragement through this message. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event, the event you've all been waiting for, Battle Sunday. And now let me introduce you to your speakers in this corner, weighing in at a musical genius and a multi-talented leader, Jolton Jordy Foster! And in this corner, weighing in as an associate and outreach pastor, and an excellent softball player, battling bruising Brumley! Boys, touch gloves. Whoa, I said touch gloves. (laughs) Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Come on, welcome to Battle Sunday. Uh, We like to have fun here at Live Church. Come on, we just like to do things a little bit different. Um, And so, obviously, we aren't going to be boxing today. we're not going to be boxing today. I think we might be in different weight classes, uh, maybe. I appreciate Hunter not actually weighing us in. Um, I appreciate you. You did me a favor there. Um, you got my back. I appreciate that. Uh, but welcome to Battle Sunday. Um, so we, we kind of sold this as Jordy and I are, are battling against each other. Um, but Battle Sunday, what we're doing for real is we are looking at Scripture, and there are some some ideas in Scripture that seem to fight each other, right? There are some ideas in Scripture, parts of Scripture that are like, how can it be both? How can it be this and that? And so we aren't battling each other. We aren't saying who's the best preacher wins, right? I'm thankful for that. Jordy would kick my butt. He's up here. I thought he was coming up here without any notes. And I was like, oh, man, he is really coming at it. But then I saw his notes up here. But what we're doing is, is we're looking at Scriptures that seem to battle each other. And the, the rabbis used to do this. The rabbis still do this. They, they debate a lot. And the point of the debate isn't to find which side wins, but to find somewhere in the middle where there's resolution. And that's what we're doing today. We're looking at scripture today and finding resolution in the middle. Um, and so we're going to look at Revelations chapter 5 this morning. You've heard it said that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But you've also heard said that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So how can he be both? How can he be both lamb and lion? And this conflict comes to a head in Revelation chapter 5. And it says, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the 24 elders. And so in the very same scripture, we have two different depictions of Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God that was slain. And so which is he? Is he the lion or is he the lamb? And that is the, the, the conflict that we are going to battle out today. Yeah, and just like Aaron was saying, we're going to go between uh, talking about how Jesus is a lion and how he's a lamb. And And this morning, I want to answer the question, why is Jesus called a lamb? And actually, the first time Jesus himself is ever called a lamb is in John chapter 1, verse 29. 
And in this passage of scripture, uh, it says, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when I look at that passage of scripture, I have to ask myself, why did he say Lamb? Like he could have looked at Jesus and said, look, there goes the line of the tribe of Judah, but he doesn't. He said, look, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this morning, I want to give you guys three reasons why Jesus is called a lamb. And I encourage you to take notes, write this stuff down, because I believe God is going to speak this morning. So uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. So the first reason why Jesus is called a lamb is because of his character, his character. And, you know, I've been to petting zoos. I've been to farms. I, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of of holding animals like if you put a frog in my hand I'm going to drop that thing in a second right that thing's not going to pee on me today like uh-uh so but but I've been to petting zoos and farms where I've, I've seen lambs before on tv and one thing that I've noticed about lambs is that they're very gentle creatures like have you noticed that like they're very gentle animals and and I think when we think of lambs we often uh categorize them with different characteristics and and different symbols and and some of these characteristics are gentleness purity, innocence, right? These are things that, that symbolize a lamb. And I want to tell you this morning that that's exactly how Jesus was while he was on earth during his ministry. You see, just like a lamb, he was gentle, he was humble, he was pure, he was innocent, and he cared for and he served for every single person that he met. And actually in the book of Zechariah, there's a prophecy that tells us a little bit about the character of Jesus. So this is Zechariah 9 Verse 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. But, but watch what Zechariah says here. He says, Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. You see, this passage of scripture just shows us a little bit about the character of Jesus, that he was gentle and humble and pure and innocent, and he had a heart of servanthood. He was a lamb. But here's the problem. Jesus' character went against his culture and all of his traditions. You see, during that time where Jesus lived, he lived during a super prideful culture where everyone was after their own interests and they barely thought about the interests of others. You see, it was people's main goal in life to gain honor for themselves and have a higher social status than their neighbor. It was, it was so prideful. It was all about me. It was all about, all about I. It was how can you help me? How can you serve me? What can you do for me? But the thing is, when Jesus came on earth and he had this specific type of character, he flipped his culture upside down. And instead of asking, what can you do for me? How can you help me? Jesus instead asked, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I love you? How can I serve you? That was Jesus's character. And the thing is, that's not what the Israelites were expecting. They weren't expecting Jesus to have that type of character. Instead, they were expecting Jesus to be a warrior, a, a king, someone who had high social status. See, they were expecting the lion of the tribe of Judah to come in and devour the Romans and, and take control of Israel. See, they were expecting a lion, but Jesus came as a lamb. And one thing that I've learned in my personal life throughout my walk with Christ is that sometimes Jesus doesn't always show up the way that we expect him to. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> the Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And you see the Israelites, they were expecting Jesus to come in and build an earthly kingdom, but Jesus came to build a heavenly kingdom. They were expecting Jesus to rage war, but Jesus loved instead. 
They were expecting Jesus to crush the Romans, but instead Jesus healed a Roman centurion slave. They were expecting Jesus to rule and live with the powerful, but Jesus came and he served the poor. You see, that's, that's who Jesus was. That was Jesus' character. And I think for us as fellow believers, as fellow Christians, I think we should have the same character as Jesus did. That we should love each other. We should be kind to each other. We should serve each other. We should, we should act just how Jesus was while he was on earth. And I know this is a shameless plug, but I want to encourage you guys to uh, sign up for our serve day on July 16th. Because I think it's a perfect way that we can show people the love of Christ. I think it's a perfect way that we can also show the characteristics of Jesus in our community. We can be the hands and feet of Jesus. But I want, what I want you guys to understand this morning is, is that Jesus' character proves that he's not just a lion, but he's also a lamb with a gentle and humble heart. Yeah, come on, that was good. That's good, Jordy. Come on. The, the outreach pastor's up here, and he's the one talking about serve day. Come on. <laughs> But I, I encourage you, sign up for Serve Day. we got some awesome projects that are already in the works. But also, you guys know your neighbors that might need a serve. You all know your neighbors that might need a little lift. And so if you have a neighbor, if you know of someone that needs a little lift, let me know this morning. Let us know. We'll, we'll make a whole project around it, and we can, we can get a team out there to serve them. Um, so if you've got a need that you need filled or you know somebody that needs filled, come talk to me. We will add that project um, to the list. But yeah, Jesus' character, he was gentle, he was kind, he was loving. But Jesus was also powerful. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion was a symbol of power. The lion is a symbol of strength. And Jesus, Jesus holds all the power. Let me, let me read you a few scriptures. We see, and this, this is just my warm-up point, y'all. I'm not even ready to preach yet. This is just me getting warmed up. In Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus and his disciples are crossing a lake. And, and what happens? A big storm comes, and the very wind and waves have to obey the sound of his voice. In Luke chapter 4, even the demons have to tremble at his voice and obey his commands. In Mark chapter 1, he heals a leper with his very touch. Come on, he is powerful. He holds all the power. And in the Old Testament, we see over and over and over again example of, of God's power. Over and over again, he proves it once more. And one that stands out to me this week as I was talking to Pastor Drew is in Isaiah chapter 37. In Isaiah chapter 37, there's a king, his name is Hezekiah, and the Assyrians are coming to take over. The Assyrians are surrounding them, they don't know what to do, they're outmatched, they're outgunned, they're outmanned, and Hezekiah doesn't know what to do, so he pleads with God. He says, God, save us from these Assyrians. God, I've already seen them destroy many nations. God, I've already seen them tear down many gods. God, what about now? And listen to what he says next in verse 18. It said, it is true, Lord that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms on earth will know you as Lord, the only God. You see, those gods weren't gods. Those gods weren't our God. Those gods didn't stand a chance, but our God we plead with our God, and the result of it was 185,000 Assyrians wiped off the map. They didn't stand a chance. You see, he wasn't, our God's not an ordinary God. Our God is the God with all the power and all the strength and all the honor and all the glory. He's got all the power this morning. Our God is gentle. Our God is loving, and he is kind, but he is so powerful. And here's the thing. That same power is in you. 
I was reading in Ephesians, and I love this, that Paul is, is writing to the people of Ephesus, and he's, and he's saying that he's praying for two things for them. And this is one of the two things that he's praying for all of the people. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power is in you. That same power is in you. My question for you is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with that power this morning? Come on, I, I wasn't planning on going here, but I was, I, was, I was flipping through the reels on Instagram, and my man Michael Todd popped up. And he, and he, some of us are using our power for the wrong things. Some of us have way too much time on our hand to use that power on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter to, to comment on every little thing that we disagree with. Are that, is that what you're using your power for? And my question for you is, do you have a purpose for your power? Find that purpose for your power. Your purpose is not to flip through Instagram three hours a day and comment and like every picture you see. Your purpose is not to, to heckle your elementary school teacher. Come on, I know it can be hard. Find your purpose this morning. Find the purpose for your power. Our God is gentle. He is loving. He is kind. But he is so powerful. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that same power is in you this morning. Yeah, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah with power and honor. And the thing is, when Jesus came to earth, he still had that power available to him, but yet he willingly chose to submit. And that's what I want to share with you guys this morning. My second point is why Jesus is a lamb is because he submitted. You know, one thing about lambs this past like week and a half I've been trying to get all these facts about lambs and learning about lambs and one thing I've learned so far the biggest thing that every article has said is that lambs are known for being obedient and submissive and I think there are a couple ways that Jesus himself submitted here while he was on earth during his ministry so the first reason uh, the way he submitted was he submitted to the will of the father in Matthew 26 39 uh, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's hours away from his death. Just imagine, imagine if you knew you're going to die in a few hours. How would you feel? What, what, would you, what, would you, what would be going on in your head? So in this moment, Jesus is stressed knowing that in a few hours, he's about to be, about to be persecuted and crucified and, and stomped on. But I love what Jesus says here. So this is Matthew 26, 39. And he says, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. But watch what Jesus says here. He says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And if you just put yourself in Jesus' shoes, you can just feel the stress that he's going through. Even, even the Bible tells us that Jesus started to sweat drops of blood, which is actually a rare medical condition that only happens when you're under extreme cases of stress and anxiety. Like Jesus was feeling so much stress in this moment. And he even asked God, is there, is there another way? Like, is there another way that humanity can be saved? But the thing that sticks out to me with Jesus is that it doesn't matter what he was thinking. It didn't matter what he was feeling. But he said, Father, I want your will to be done, not mine. And how many of us can say that in our own lives? Where it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter what we're feeling. It doesn't matter what we're thinking. But we can wholeheartedly say with a whole heart, Father, I want your will to be done and not mine. Come on, just like Pastor Drew was preaching about last week about his will and not our will. You see, Jesus is a symbol of a lamb because he wholeheartedly submitted and was obedient to the Father's will. 
Another way that Jesus submitted while he was here on earth is that he submitted himself to the persecution, torture, and death. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. You know, the amazing thing about Jesus is that while he was being accused, beaten, whipped, mocked, persecuted, he didn't defend himself. He didn't resist. He didn't fight back. And, and the thing is, that's crazy to me because, like, I know I don't, I, don't, I don't pack much, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll pack a punch. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to fight back. If, someone, if someone's accusing me, I'm going to, like, fight for my freedom. I'm going to fight for my innocence. That's, that's what I would do. I think that's what we would all do. And the thing is, Jesus could have resisted. He could have defended himself. Actually, when Jesus was arrested, he even said, I could call down legions of angels right now for protection. But he didn't. And while Jesus was on trial, Pontius Pilate even asked him, aren't you going to defend yourself? Like, aren't you going to say something? Aren't you going to fight for your freedom? But here's what I want you guys to get this morning is that Jesus stayed silent for you. He didn't fight back for you. He didn't resist for you, but he submitted himself to the pain and the persecution so that you could have life and life to the full. You see, just like a land that stays silent when it's being led to the slaughter, so too was Jesus when he was being led to the cross. Yeah, come on, that's so good. That is so good. Jesus submitted. Jesus submitted and he served rather than be served. Um, my second point, why is Jesus a lion? It's because he submitted, but he also reigns. He also reigns above everything. And to, to illustrate this point, we got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis chapter 49, there's a guy named Jacob. Jacob is one of the, the founders of our faith, and he had 12 sons. And one of those 12 sons was named Judah. All right, you see where I'm going here? And in Genesis chapter 49, it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Jacob is blessing his sons here. He goes through every one of his sons, and this is what he says to Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from your prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he who, to whom it belongs shall come, the one whom all nations will honor. This is where it originates, right here. The lion of the tribe of Judah. You see Jacob here calling, calling his son Judah a lion's cub, a, a lion returning from his prey, a lioness. Who dares to rouse the lioness? But then it continues and it says that the ruler's staff will not depart from Judah that the scepter will not depart from Judah. After this moment, after this blessing, guess what Judah took as the symbol of his house? A lion. He took a lion as a symbol of his house. And if you could name one king of Israel, who would you name? David, right? I thought someone's going to try like a Rehoboam and you're just showing off. But David, right? We think of David, the, the king of Israel. Guess what tribe David came from? Judah. David had a son. His name was Solomon. Guess what, guess what tribe he came from? Judah. And then here comes Rehoboam. Guess what tribe Rehoboam came from? Judah. Judah was the line of kings. And guess what tribe Jesus is associated with? 
Judah. Jesus is often referred to as the heir of David, the seed of David. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah because he comes from the tribe of Judah. But Jesus wasn't an ordinary king. Jesus wasn't just David and Solomon. He wasn't an ordinary king. He was the king of kings. He wasn't an ordinary lord. He was the lord of lords. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. In John chapter 1, it says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, he is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Come on, Jesus isn't just an ordinary king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the alpha. He is the omega, the beginning of the end. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion doesn't just describe or represent Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah because he reigns. Jesus reigns over everything. He's not just Israel. He was the one that they were waiting for. He was the one in the scripture where it talks about until he to whom it belongs shall come, the one whom all nations will honor. That's Jesus. Jesus reigns above everything. But why does this matter? Why does this matter that he's called the Lion of Judah? He reigns over everything, and that includes you. And my question for you this morning is, is does he reign in your life? You know, Jesus isn't just an ordinary king. He's the king of kings. Jesus doesn't rule halfway. Jesus doesn't reign half the time. Jesus wants all of you. In exchange for all of you, you get all of him. That's a pretty uneven trade, if you ask me. We get the better end of the deal. If you give, your, if you give yourself to him fully, he's going to give himself fully. Are you allowing him to reign in your life? But here's the thing about Jesus is he's a, he's a, a gentle, kind ruler. He wants to be invited in. He wants you to say yes to him this morning. And so will you say yes to him this morning and let him reign in your life today and reign in your life tomorrow and reign in your life in all the days after that? Jesus reigns. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah because he reigns. Yeah, Jesus reigns. And I was thinking about this earlier. What do you guys think of a king who, who reigns, right? You think of authority. You think of a power and glory, like someone up here and everyone else is down here, right? That's what I think when I think of a king who reigns. But the awesome thing about Jesus is that he was in the high place and he chose to come down to earth. He chose to leave that place. And while he was here on earth, he was sacrificed. And that's my third and final point this morning. Jesus is a lamb because he was sacrificed. And you know, in ancient Israel, whenever someone would talk about a lamb or, or mention a lamb, they would always think of a sacrifice. You see, during that time, lambs were often used as uh, sacrifices to atone for people's sin. And actually, one of the most important sacrifices in Israel is uh, the sacrifice where they sacrifice a lamb during Passover. And the first time the Israelites actually ever did Passover, ever had a Passover, was, was when they were in slavery and Egypt. And if you read the book of Exodus, you'll see that the, the Israelites are in bondage, they're in slavery, they're being persecuted, and they're being stomped on by the Egyptians. But during that time, God was sending plagues on the Egyptians, telling them, let my people go. And if you look at the, the list of the plagues, the very last plague that God sends on the Egyptians is the plague of death. But here's the thing about this last plague. Death was coming for the Egyptians, and it was coming for the Israelites. Like, like no one could be saved from this plague. No one could hide from this plague. But 
for the Israelites to be saved, God told them to take an innocent, a pure, and a perfect lamb and sacrifice it. And when they sacrificed this perfect, innocent, and pure lamb, they took the blood of the lamb and they covered their doorposts. And because they were covered by the blood of the lamb, death passed over them. And death didn't just pass over them, but it was actually the very next day the Israelites were free from bondage and they were free from slavery. And I was thinking about this, the, that, that Passover story is literally a perfect picture of Jesus saving humanity. See, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus was crucified the week of Passover. And just like the Israelites, I believe all of us, all of humanity, we are in bondage and we are in slavery. And it might not be with literal shackles, it might not be with literal whips and chains, but we are enslaved to something called sin. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that because we sin, because it's a part of our lives, we deserve death. It says, for the wages of sin is death. It, it, it's part of us, whether we like it or not, death and enslavement is in our lives. But here's, here's what I want you guys to get this morning. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Just how the Israelites were saved by a sacrificed lamb, so too we can be saved by our sacrificed Lord. I want to say that one more time. Just how the Israelites were saved by a sacrificed lamb, so too we can be saved by our sacrificed Lord. You see, Jesus, or just like a perfect lamb that was sacrificed, Jesus was the perfect lamb that was slain so that we could be free from bondage and we can be free from death. And just like the Israelites who covered their house by the blood of the lamb, so too when we accept Jesus as our savior, so too when we accept Jesus as our Lord, we are symbolically covered by the blood of the lamb so that death must pass over us. No longer sin has control in our lives. No longer does death have a sting. When we are covered by the blood of Jesus, we are free. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus' blood is strong enough. His blood is stronger than death. His blood is stronger than bondage. His blood is stronger than that drug addiction. His blood is stronger than that porn addiction. His blood is stronger than sin. It doesn't matter what you did 15 years ago. It doesn't matter what you did last night. His blood is strong enough. And when you are covered by the blood of Jesus, you are free. And just as a lamb that doesn't deserve to be sacrificed, so too Jesus did, didn't deserve to be crucified. But he chose death. He willingly chose death because he loves you. The one who has all the power, the one who, who reigns, willingly chose to die for you. And if you get anything out of today, if you completely forget everything I just said, I want you to get this moment here. Man, Jesus loves you so much. Can it be that there's a God who has a love so great that he chose his son to die for us? And the answer is yes. Jesus was the lamb that was sacrificed. He was the perfect lamb that was sacrificed so that we could be free from bondage and death. Yeah, come on. Jesus was sacrificed, and, and with his death, with his sacrifice, he conquered sin. But we know that three days later, that's not the end of the story, right? Jesus, three days later, 
rises. And my third point, why is Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah? It's because he triumphs. It's because he triumphs. Jesus died conquering sin and he rose conquering death. You see, Jesus died a lamb, but he rose a lion, right? And that's still not the end of the story. But, but his death conquered sin and his resurrection, he conquered death. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, death is swallowed up in victory. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. The story didn't end with his, sac- with his sacrifice because he rose. And I-, I think as Jesus came out of that tomb, I think the, think the media team's got a video for me. This is how I imagine Jesus coming out of that tomb triumphantly. Come on, I love myself some Ray Lewis. Come on, Jesus came out of the grave and he was dead to come on. He was like, woo, woo. He was ready. Jesus came and he conquered death. He conquered sin because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he wants to know you. He triumphs and he triumphs every time. But that's not the end of the story. That's what I love is it's not the end of the story. We look at the, the book of Revelation, and I know we, we talk about the book of Revelation, we're like, oh, here we go. Revelations, right? It's classified and it's, it's categorized, it's called apocalyptic literature. And we hear that word and we're like, oh, no. Here we go, Pastor Aaron. In Revelation, there's some weird stuff. There's some symbols and there's some, some, some allegories and all this crazy stuff that I'm like, I don't know if I understand some of this stuff. But I want to break down Revelations for you because it's really something incredible. That Re- Revelation, apocalyptic literature is defined like this. It says it's just writing filled with symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective on history in light of its final outcome. It's just the, the writer of, was John, and John is getting these visions, and all it is is symbols that shed light on the rest of history that gives us a heavenly perspective. You know, it's like you're watching a movie or you're reading a book, but you already know the ending, right? The main character gets in a conflict. The the characters that you know are at the end of the story are in in a tough situation, but you already know they're gonna win. You know the end of the story. And so when you're watching the movie, you don't have to worry. When you're watching, when you're reading the book, you don't have to wonder because you know the end of the story. And in the same way, Revelations reveals the end of the story. Revelation gives us a heavenly perspective on our history now. And Revelations really isn't as scary as it would seem with all these weird symbols. But the lion of the tribe of Judah comes back. We know that Jesus dies and he rises again and he ascends into heaven, but that's not the end of the story. The lion of the tribe of Judah is returning. And this time he's returning as a lion. This time he's returning to, to, I like to say, he keeps coming back to kick butt and take names. And he reveals the end of the story in Revelation chapter 20. John has a vision of a great battle. 
And this is where it gets a little weird. There's some symbols. There's some things that represent things to come. And what's representing evil here is, is two giant serpent beasts, right? And it's real weird when you're reading it. But all it does is it represents evil. And evil is coming, and these beasts, they, they gather an army of evil, and they're surrounding God's people. And it seems like all hope is lost. And then this is what it says in Revelation chapter 20. It says, and I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. It says, but fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to triumph. That all the powers of evil, they're, they're great and they're strong and they're powerful, but they're no match for the lion of the tribe of Judah. That the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming back and with his death, he conquered sin. With his resurrection, he conquered death. And he's coming back again to finish it off. He's coming back again to deal with evil once and for all. You see, we know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. And because of that, we can live with a heavenly perspective now. We know he triumphs. And so we can live with hope now. We know he triumphs so we can live with joy now. We know he triumphs and so we can live with power now. We know the end of the story. Jesus has never lost a battle. He's never going to lose a battle. He's not going to start with you. And so this morning, I want you to know the end of the story. And I want you to walk around with a little bit more confidence. I want you to get a little swagger to your walk because you know my God is triumphing so I can triumph now. You know that my God will triumph. I know it looks bleak right now. I know that I might not have a lot of hope right now, but I know the end of the story. And I know there's hope. And I know that Jesus always triumphs. And so we go back to Revelation chapter 5. Is he a lion or is he a lamb? It's another one of these weird symbolic visions that, that John is having. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, he is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. You see, in this moment, what John is hearing is, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. But what he turns and what he sees is the Lamb of God who is slayed for your sins. Is he a lion or is he a lamb? You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, in the book of Revelations, when we hear the triumphant lion of Judah coming back and kicking butt and taking names, always John turns and he sees the lamb that was slain. They were expecting a lion. They got a lamb. But he's still a lion. He is still powerful. He still reigns. He still triumphs. So is he a lion or a lamb? These things that come together, that, that seem like opposite, that seem like they contradict each other, come together in perfect harmony in, the, harmony in the perfectly unique person of Jesus Christ. It's hard to fathom when you take the two sides, and I struggled a little bit fighting the two sides, but he's perfectly both. The all-powerful Savior who holds all the power in the universe choosing to be loving, gentle, and kind, and meek. The God who reigns above all chooses to submit and serve rather than be served. And Jesus, who could easily triumph through military or political power, chooses to triumph through sacrifice for you. 
And my question this morning is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the lion and the lamb? Where does your perspective need to change on Jesus this morning? Do you know him this morning? I feel like Jesus is asking this morning, do you know me? And this morning I feel that there are some people in this room that feel like you're far from God. That feel like, I don't know if I really do know him. And this morning, I feel like he's asking you, come know me, because I want to know you. And this morning, in a few minutes, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a chance to say, I want to know him. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I just, Jesus said, if, if you acknowledge me in front of others, I will acknowledge you in front of the Father. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, earlier, Jordy read Romans chapter 8. He said, for the wages of sin is death. But there's a second part of that scripture. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift this morning. He's just saying, I want to know you if you want to know me. I got a free gift waiting for you. I want to know you. I've got, if you give me all of me, all of you, I'm going to give you all of me. And this morning, if you're feeling far from God and you want to come back, maybe again or maybe for the first time, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Go ahead and slip your hand in the air. I just want to know who I'm praying for. And this morning, if you're online, you can put it in the chat, that's me. Or you can message Love Church and say, that's me. And this morning, I want to pray for you. I see your hand over here. And so if that's you, if you raise your hand, we're going to pray together as a church. But if you raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, you are the lion and you are the lamb. Thank you that you are the lamb that died for me. I give you my life. I'm sorry I've been far, but I want to come close. I give everything to you. Take my life. You are Lord. And all God's people can say, amen.